everybody, it's Joel from The Board Game Mechanics, and with me, as always, is none other than... Hey guys, what's going on? It is Jason. I wonder if people think your name is, hey guys, what's going on? It's Jason. <laughs> I hope they do. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I, I don't know if this is a, a possibility or something that you might be interested in, but we could re-record this episode tomorrow, right after I get done doing my uh, my my 15-hour-long day. Uh, rallying in Indianapolis, the state capital, as a teacher, um, where I'll get four hours of sleep and travel about um, eight hours total, probably, and be at a rally for about eight hours. So uh, that might make for a real good episode, because <laughs> from what I understand, last week's episode was a fan favorite, even though it was <laughs> real dumb, real dumb. Yeah, people do like those. I told you, man, people like the dumb ones. Yeah, uh, we got another suggestion from someone. Uh, can't remember your name off the top of my head, but thank you for the suggestion and the review. Uh, if you guys leave us reviews and suggestions on Facebook, it really helps. Leave us a, a, a rating on whatever podcast server you're on, uh, which would be awesome. Every review has been amazing so far. So thank you so much for that. And really, I say this sometimes, and I don't mean this lightly. Our fans are our friends. We really love you guys. We think you're the best. Uh, we had a fan, I guess, who's not family, drive like eight hours to go to a game day with you, it sounds like. so. Yep, it was more, awesome. More, more on that later, probably. So, uh, very cool. Man, we're really, really loving you guys. Um, seriously, we don't have <laughs> the closest thing we've had to a bad review. Is somebody one time told us we don't make him smile enough. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, whatever. Um, I, you know what? I think it was my wife that wrote the review, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the person that just gave us that recommendation, her name's Melanie. So, thank you, Melanie. Yeah, yeah. Is it Melanie? If it's not Melanie, it's because you have some accents on your name that I don't understand. Yeah, so maybe Melanie. So, it's either Melanie or Melanie. So, thank you. Whoever you are, we appreciate you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Right, so I have one thing of news I wanted to talk about, and the only reason I want to talk about this one is because it's a sequel to Takedo, and I didn't think Takedo needed the sequel, but evidently it did, or Antoine Bowser needed some money, whatever, we'll leave that where it is for now, but this game is called Namiji, or Namiji, I'm not sure how you say it, and it's by Funforge, designed by Antoine Bowser. Um, what this one looks like is it's Takedo, but you're in boats. So the board looks bigger and longer, has like the same kind of mechanisms where you're going to travel as far as you want forward and you get a stop on one of the locations and do the thing. It still looked like you were completing some, um, paintings. I can't remember what they're called, but you're trying to get to the parts of the paintings. Um, looks like you're also maybe getting some souvenirs or something. There are some different pieces where you can get like these favor tile things that you're going to put on your player board to collect or something. So it's a little different, but if you like Takedo and wanted maybe a deeper game, I would say check this one out. So that is Namiji. It has six days left and there's only one pledge level and it's $66. Yeah, um, I'm out because, I mean, some people are going to like this one and that's fine, but I don't like Takedo. So yeah. You know I didn't think I liked it either, but the more I play it, the more I kind of enjoy it. It's just like a chill game you can play while you're just hanging out with people and talking. It makes me really angry, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah. Because if you get behind and the guy ahead of you starts blocking spots that are like what you really need. If someone starts playing really defensively in that game, it's really hard to win. So 
it's supposed to be this chill laid back game, but like, I know I need some money. I'm broke. And so the money spot is taken. So either I've got to jump like a whole third of the board ahead and lose out on a bunch of turns to get the money I need, or just lose out on money and just be broke the whole game. And so if someone's paying attention to what you're doing, it's really hard to play. So I don't know. I, I don't like that about it. I've had a couple of really bad experiences with that on it. It's just, it's got a runaway leader thing almost to it, I think, because I don't know. If you get the best spots, like the way how the spots are set up, there's an optimized path. And if you get on that optimized path, it's hard to bump someone off of it because you don't want to screw up your path to screw theirs up. But then at the same time, like their path is just so good. It's like, oh, look, I have all the money and all the art now. Good job, me, for being second player or whatever they ended up being. So that's that's my take on Takedo. I don't like it um, because of that. But that, I mean, like it's a it's a critically acclaimed game, acclaimed game. People love this game, and I don't blame them. It's beautiful. It's really a nice looking game. The theme is cool. That you're going for a walk in Japan or somewhere in the Orient, and I I think it's super cool, uh, theme wise. And I get that people like it, and I'm not going to fight you on it. It's just not for me. Yeah, and no, I agree. And it's not like it's not heavy by any means. It's just a game that I would get out with people who don't play games a ton. And it's easy to teach, and you get to look at cool stuff while you're playing. So, yeah, I dig it. It's okay. Yep. I don't have any news, bud. All right, then. We'll just head on to the next segment. Speaking of that riveted member who traveled eight hours to play some games, I'm going to talk about a game that I play with him. And he will be referenced as Burger Cookie on this podcast today. And he'll know what that means. The burger cookie soundboard? <laughs> yeah, the burger cookie soundboard, which I had one today and it was awesome. But that's a tangent. So the game I played uh, a couple weekends ago when he was in town is called Circadian's First Light. So first thing I'm going to say is this is a space game and I liked it. So all you people who think I don't play space games, you can stick that in your pipe and do what you do with things in your pipe. So blow bubbles. <laughs> bubbles yes but essentially what this game is is it's a dice placement game you have a player screen in front of you and you're rolling your dice behind your screen and you're kind of programming your movements in different locations on this little player board that's behind your screen based on values of your dice some of the locations you're going to put on your own board to farm and get some kelp and some other resources other other dice you're going to send out to locations to upgrade your player board unlock new dice get um new um item cards play item cards, move your little rover around on the planet to get better farming. So, yes, it's space, but really, at its core, it's a dice placement game, which I really like. And it's it's kind of meaty. It's pretty solidly medium, but I highly enjoyed it. And if I could find a copy, I would be one that I would like to have in my collection. And it's by Garfield Games, which is Shim Phillips' company, but he didn't design it. So that's kind of interesting, too. So the game I played, Circadian's First Light, good time. Is the... Is the art by the Miko? No, it's completely different art. Huh. Well, that's cool. It, it looks it looks nice, too. It's just different. I remember this one on Kickstarter. It was around the same time, I think, as uh, the Artemis Project, maybe a little after. And I was like, oh, this one looks really good, too. And I didn't back either. I'm sad. I think I'd like this one, though, a lot, actually. Yeah, it's really good. I think you would like it. It's really fun. Yeah, it looks great. It looks fantastic, to be honest. Well, speaking of fantastic games... Uh, I didn't play any fantastic games this week, but I played a couple of okay games. Um, I played Escape Plan, which is a Vidal Lacerda game. So immediately you go into it thinking, hey, this is going to be like a uh, top 10 game, you know, of all time. Like, 
one of the greatest games I've ever played. And you get going on it, and it ends up just being okay. Um, it's basically Vidal's thing of there's a main action you do, and then you have executive actions. Like, it definitely has that going on with it. But your main action is basically moving across the board, following some pretty basic movement rules, and then visiting, like, a safe house or a business that you've invested money into. Try and pull your money out. Try and get, like, a contact to maybe help with an executive action later. And that's about it, to be honest. Um, it's it's really quick. You could do as few as nine actions in this game. Um, so it's really short, really quick. It doesn't feel like you're building anything is what it feels bad what feels bad about it. It's very quick. The pace of it's just so fast. And I think it's over as it starts to wind up. So um, it's it's not a bad game. It feels like you're doing a heist. There's a definite sense of urgency that's happening in this game the whole time. But I uh, I don't know. It's my least favorite Lacerda game, but it's still probably top, top 100 games, honestly. So it does what it does pretty well. It just wasn't what I expected. I was expecting a little more engine buildery kind of thing. And it's more of a hang on to your pants because, like, we're moving kind of game instead. So uh, that was the escape plan. Uh, it's certainly okay. I mean, it's certainly okay. And it's got some cool things about it. Like, you're avoiding the cops, hiring motorcycle gang members to come beat the cops up or something. Um, and then getting keys to open safe boxes at um, convenience stores. All kinds of cool thematic stuff going on in this game. Probably the most thematic Lacerda game, but it just it it happens so quick, and I didn't feel like I got that gratification of building something that I normally get in Lacerda games, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the biker gang because the the whole time you were talking, I was like, yeah, and you can re- recruit motorcycles and spin them like cubes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, they're nice looking cubes. <laughs> For sure. Uh, there, everything's silkscreened on this. It's a nice component quality. Like EGG always does really nice components. Um, so, I mean, overall, it was a perfectly fine game. I did play another game, Jason, that I like a lot too. Um, and this one definitely will be in the top 100, but it's like a cult classic. So I was expecting it to be a top 10 game. And it's definitely a top 50-ish game. Um, and actually, I did modify my list. So you'll hear more about that later. Cool. I think I know what game you're talking about. Rock Band Manager. <laughs> Yes, definitely that one. That was amongst the worst games I've ever played. I've owned that game for 10 years. I finally played it. It is so bad. That's sad, dude. I love games with that theme. That makes me sad. Oh, I know. I want to use the cards and assets to make an actual good game. Like, I have an idea how it could be an okay game. But basically what it is, it's an auction game, but you only can bid with exact change that you have. <laughs> and then and then you have to take, like, only you can only win one of each position. So... Like, there's a keyboardist, a bass player, a guitar player, vocalist, and drummer. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to use these guys to, like, go out and win gigs and sell records. And it's just such a convoluted mess. It's just really a mess. Bad. So it's a super cool theme. It looks super fun. But Rock Band Manager is really bad. You know, I think I still want to play it. Y- yeah. I'll tell you what, bud. Um, <laughs> I may just put this in a little little pouch for you and let you take it home with you. I'll make my buddy Brandon play it. <laughs> It's not horrible, but it's, you have to play three players, too, because it's an auction game. Oh, it's basically, it. it's it's for sale. Someone was like, hey, for sale, this is a really awesome game. It's so sleek and so like streamlined and easy to teach and just so straightforward, but just a lot of fun. To, all that bidding gets to be where the fun's at. And so someone played that game, and they're like, man, I love rock music, and I hate games that are just streamlined and fun. <laughs> How can I make this super convoluted and really hard to understand and explain to people? Uh, and there it is. So, And it's just – the game's so tight. You can't make any mistakes. Like, it's just right. super punishing, too. Oh, that's so, sad. It looks like Scott Pilgrim art, too, and it's like the most punishing, like <laughs> – 
super <laughs> most punishing felled early era game ever. So yeah, I saw anyway. that. I saw that guitar like little piece, and that was neat. I was like, that's awesome. I wanted this game to be good really badly, but it's no thrash and roll. <laughs> uh, clearly, I mean, what is really? Hey, Jason. Yep. Auction games that are awesome. Let me tell you one that is awesome. It's a really good auction game. Rock Band and Manager. It, <laughs> dang it, Jason. Quit guessing my games I was going to say. Uh, no, this one's Stockpile. Uh, this game's really good. It's <laughs> it's like all the stock games uh, out there that have deduction and secret identities. <laughs> That's really weird. No, it's thematic. It's like, you know how when you sell stocks, like you go to Edward Jones you're like, here's my 10 certificates of GE stock. And then you hand them an envelope and you're like, and these stocks, how much will you sell these stocks for? And they like go to open the envelope and you're like, nope, you can't. You got to just believe me that that's a good stock. Then they open it up and it's like a trading fee for a thousand dollars. See, gotcha. There you go, Edward Jones. Um, no, that's what happens in this game though, is that you basically are playing, you, you get a bunch of stock cards go out on this board to start. And then there's piles of stocks that you're bidding on. But when you, when you bid on these piles, some of the cards are face down, some are face up. And you put one of the cards face down and put one card face up. And so that's a fun part of the game that you're balancing these piles of stocks, trying to get someone else to bid on something or trying to discourage people from bidding on what you want to bid on. And um, and then you have these piles of stocks that you're bidding on. And some of it's secret knowledge. So that's one kind of cool thing. But the other part, too, is you've got a real Martha Stewart thing going on where you have some inside information. So you know one stock, what it's going to do that round. You know it's either going to go up as many as four points or down as many as three. And so you're able to buy these stocks before that information happens. So sometimes you have a really good stock that you get to put out in the stockpiles, but you know it's going down for. So somebody is suckered and buys that for a lot of money and then you sell your shares off and that feels really good. And sometimes you have a really crappy stock and you put it face down and you put it face down on top of another copy of that stock and you know it's going up three and or up four even. And you buy it up real cheap at like two bucks and it splits and you're worth a ton of money. So it's really fun. It's like a super thematic auctioning economic just stock game. It's really fun. It's the most zany fun stock game that I've ever played. So anyway, Stockpile, really good game. I enjoy it quite a bit uh, just because it's just wacky. It's a weird mashup, a combination of, of mechanics. This one's usually in print too. It's out of print at the moment, but I would say if it's back in print, it's something worth checking out for sure. Yeah, I haven't played this one, but it seems kind of interesting, but I don't know. I just thought it was all stock trading and then that kind of turned me off. But the the cool like hidden stuff seems neat. So I may have to give this one a go. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's a filler too. It takes 30 minutes. Oh, that's cool. Even better. All right, so my number 50 uh, could be considered a filler, I guess. And it's the first game in the Century series, and that is Century Spice Road. Um, disclaimer, the third one, the newest one may be higher if I'd played it more, but maybe not because I really like this one. But in this one, this is a all-card-driven game. You're using cards to create this engine to try to get different colored cubes, convert them into other color cubes to complete these contracts. And it's essentially a race to do that quicker than everybody else and better than everybody else to get the most points. It's really straightforward. It's easy to play. It's easy to teach. I've had good luck teaching this to people who don't usually play a ton of games. And some of them have actually went out and bought it, which is pretty neat. So if you like light games that are really family friendly, then I recommend this one. My number 50, Century Spice Road. Yeah, it's a great game. Uh, it's just elegant. Like I know that's you we use it a ton, but it's just it makes a lot of sense. It's completely abstracted, but it's just easy to understand and just a really clever game. I like it a lot. Uh, I 
think this one maybe made my list. If not, it's in my next 100 for sure. Cool. Like it a lot, though. Good pick, Jason. Uh, Jason, 49 for me is one that you talked about already. And this is a tile laying game uh, where you're getting like hops or wheat or water um, in order to brew beer. And it's heaven and ale. And you described it pretty well. It's got these tracks. And you start off with all these ingredients, um, the value of your ingredients being so low uh, that you have to like really work hard to even get up to zero points. And then beyond that, you have to get your brewmaster to really start kicking some butt too. So there's like all these things you have to balance and try and optimize and be efficient with how you lay these tiles. Again, there's a dark and a light side. Like the one side's going to get you money. The other side's going to get you better ingredients. And so if you do too much on one side, you're going to really suffer on the other side and you can't make things run very well. So you've got to kind of keep balancing things, but optimize as most with as most efficiency with the most efficiency you can get. It did have an expansion come out. I haven't heard anything good about the expansion yet, though. Um, and I don't see how an expansion is going to help this game much. I really just, I like it a lot. And to get, to be honest, this is the game that Takedo wishes it was um, with that kind of movement, like forward and not ever returning backwards kind of movement. I, I really like that in this game. I don't like it in Takedo, like I said earlier. Um, but And I don't normally like tile playing games either, but this one does it really well. So I think it's kind of cool just the way how the randomized tiles come out and you're kind of like almost bidding on them or with your action, like how you take them and put them on your board. Um, and just, just trying to figure out what's the best move for you. Do I want to get out far ahead of these guys and get some clear clear air in front of me so I can get a bunch of tiles but then be done before them? Or what do I want to do? Um, so Heaven and Ale, a really cool game with a couple of different boards going on at one time. Just trying to balance everything makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I don't really know what the expansion was would add. I feel like this game has everything it needs right now. It's just nice and streamlined, easy to play, and super fun. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yep. All right. Um, so I'm going to move on to my number 49, which is a game from Queen Games. And it's a game about Indiana Jones archaeology. And it's called Thebes. So this is a game where you're moving your little person around this map, trying to get to different locations to dig for artifacts. And the way you do that is you're trying to collect these cards that have shovels and knowledge, which basically is a book of the color of the city that you're in. And then you're going to spend time to determine how many items you're going to be able to draw out of a bag because it's a game about pulling things out of a bag, and I love that. So the more time you spend, the better chances you're going to have of getting some valuable things. Uh, The trick here is, well, one of the tricks here is when you take dirt out because some of the tiles have nothing, the dirt always goes back in the bag. So as people are digging, just like in real life, I guess, the dig site gets worse. So this is a really fun game. It's it's easy. It's, you know, family weight plus. Um, it has some cool mechanisms, and it's just it's just fun. I like it a lot. So my number 49, Thebes. Yeah, I uh, I like this game quite a bit, too. Um, it's it's interesting. I like how time is kind of like you're, you're, you're going on the time track. So you're spending – you're investing time different places, and you can spend your time traveling or – man, I really don't want to spend all those – those actions to go across, you know, all of Europe. So I'd really rather just make do where I'm at, even though it's not the best place. That's kind of interesting. Um, by the way, this game on Amazon right now is 13 bucks. Oh yeah. So it's always it's like that. A super good deal. It's a really good game. Um, I would strongly suggest it to about anyone, to be honest. Uh, excellent game. And it's, it is, it's like the closest thing to an Indiana Jones without the adventure parts, right. uh, archeology span game. So, 
I really do enjoy it. You could play this one and then mesh it up with like uh, Escape, The Curse of the Temple or whatever the game Oh, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. And you'd have your real Indiana Jones game then. Yeah. Another thing I like about this is it has the Takedo thing too, where the farther back you are on the time track, you're first. So when you spend more time to do digs, you might be waiting a while while other people are taking their turns because you went out on an archaeological dig. So that's kind of neat. Yep. Uh, this is one that I have in my collection and it's not going anywhere, but it didn't make my top 100. Um, but it's a good game, Jason, for sure. Very good. Uh, Jason, my number 48 is Village. And this is one that I, I don't know, I go back and forth on. Sometimes I feel like it's just a pretty basic worker placement game, but it's such a clean worker placement game. And then it has kind of a catch too. It has this mechanic where you take cubes and you have to go where your cubes tell you, you, you go. Um, but even then you have like some kind of variety on where you're going to go with these cubes that you, you, uh, you get that kind of determine where you have to use your worker placement at. But then the other thing that this game's definitely just always been known for and is something that it definitely does is it has this thing about where, um, you, you are very limited in your lifespan. And so your people are constantly dying. And it just kind of reminds you, hey, make the most of every day. So I don't think that's what this game is really trying to do. But it kind of does that a little bit. And it's basically you just trying to build a family legacy in this little village with your family. Um, and it's the only game I know of where the end condition of the game is once the graveyard's full, then the game's over. So, um yeah, I guess it's how we do with our towns, too. Like once you run out of places to bury people, we go start a new town. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I know nothing about this game other than the fact that people can die. And I'm actually surprised that hasn't been done before. Because it is kind of a cool way to thin out your uh, your worker placement. Like, ponds and stuff is pretty neat. So, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's, it was really hot in its day. Um, but it's it's still a very good game. Um, it was by the Brands. I think this is one of the first Brands games that was kind of popular. Mm, that's cool. All right, so, yeah, I haven't played it, but I probably won't, but it does seem cool. So, my my <laughs> my 48 is a game from Space Cowboys that I want an expansion to really, really badly, and I reached out to the designer, and he basically said no, and it's called Elysium. Uh, so, what this game is, this is essentially a card drafting game, sort of. Uh, you have these four colored pillars, red, yellow, blue, green. And you have to take a card, and the only way you can take a card is if it has, if you have the pillar on your player board that matches the pillar that's on the corner of the card. So say the card has a yellow and a green, you have to have yellow and green on your player board. Then when you take that card, you have to get rid of one of your pillars, making it more difficult for you to take cards in a future turn, because you're basically eliminating your opportunities to buy cards. So you're kind of thinking ahead of what you can buy with the pillars that you have. And when you take a card, you're trying to determine which pillar you want to get rid of. And then the second half of the game, I mean, it all takes place at the same time, but another part of the game is you're trying to get the cards that you've got in your tableau and you're trying to put them into Elysium, which is going to be in-game points and it's going to render the card powers useless. So you're trying to juggle when you want to move things down into your Elysium to do some set collections to get some points and how long you want to keep your card in your tableau to let the powers fire. And yeah, I, I enjoy this game a lot. It's one of the games that Katie and I play a lot at two players and it goes in like 20 minutes. It's, it's amazing. So my number 48 is Elysium. I'm, I'm not into it and it's no offense to anybody who loves this game again, but whenever anyone describes this game, it's pretty much how you just described it. You have columns of many colors, and you match the columns of the colors, and it's good. 
I don't know. This one came out, I think, around the same time as um, Rise of Augustus. Um, same year, I think. And they just looked similar enough to me. And Rise of Augustus, or Rise, Augustus, whatever you want to call it, it was just such a bad game for me that this one was sour too. And I know that some people just love this game, but I just still don't understand it. Yeah, they're really not the same at all. But No, I know. Uh, all Elysium is essentially is it's a drafting game, and you're just spending those pillars as resources. So instead of like using money to buy a card, you have to use the pillar. So if you like drafting and set collection, then I think it would be a game that you might enjoy. Pillars of many colors. I... See, I don't love drafting. That's my thing too. I don't. I don't either. But I like drafting like this. Like it's not where you're passing cards around and forth. They're from like the face up on the table, so you're kind of just buying a card essentially, like from the tableau. Based on your colorful pillars. Correct. Yes. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Jason, number forty-seven for me. I can't talk about your game being dumb when I'm going to talk about this game next. Okay. Uh, let's just. Uh, hmm. So this game is a really cool game where you are like basically new on a continent and you are showing up on the beach and you're like, you know what, let's use our, our resources, limited resources here on this beach to build a railroad infrastructure. So we're going to start building some railroad infrastructure uh, and go inland from the beach and um, use this railroad infrastructure to help increase national security. Because the Cthulhu beasts are all over this island. And this game is Australia by Martin Wallace. That is such a dumb theme, man. I've decided that he was making a really cool train game. And then he had a fever dream and finished it. So, like, I, like, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's the exact mesh of what he does in his games. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like brass and a study in Emerald, like, meshed together. And that's exactly what it is. Like... It's just you build a train network so you can mobilize your army and go fight Cthulhu beasts. <laughs> Hang on, I can't fight Cthulhu now. I need to finish this railway. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, man. what I'm trying to say is um, Asylum, Asylum, whatever your name of your game was. Elysium. Elysium, there it is, is a really good game <laughs> with a great theme and it makes a lot of sense. Get, Compared to Australia. <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah. That's a game true. where you build artillery trains to blow up Cthulhu. But it really is a fun game. It's a lot of fun. And it's got this cool thing where you can do actions as much as you want, but they just become ridiculously expensive to do. So, like, to do an action, you have to put more cubes there, I think, than there are already there, already in that spot. So if I put a cube in a spot to do an action, then I could put two of my action cubes in that same spot to do the action the next turn. And then I could put four of them there to do a third turn. But... You don't want to do that because that gets really expensive because you can take a turn to clear your card off and then just do it again. So um, it's a really cool balancing your actions kind of thing and balancing a really cool theme of building trains with another cool theme, I guess, of doing those Cthulhu beasts. Boy, this black cherry sparkling water is not agreeing with me at all. I think people can hear that I was like fighting that belch pretty hard there again. <laughs> I didn't notice. I do like Martin Wallace. Uh, I don't really care for Cthulhu themes, but this one, this theme's kind of weird enough that I kind of want to play it. It's so bizarre, it, but <laughs> it's it's cool. That's cool. Hit Road Z. Do you remember that game too? Uh, I remember it. I yeah, I didn't play it or it didn't seem interesting to me, but I do remember him creating that one. Yeah, it's just bizarre. He makes some. It's yeah. yeah fr- it's like 
<laughs> yeah, he has London, and then he has weird games about zombies. And <laughs> well, it's it's like George Harrison writing, like uh, "Here Comes the Sun," and I've got my mindset on you. <laughs> That's true. That was bad rhythm. It is like that. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, Marty Walls is a real George Harrison. (laughs) And subtitle. All right. um, My number 47 is another dumb theme, I guess. But it's from Steffenfeld, and it's about being in an underwater research station trying to fight off the octopods with these robots and stuff. And it's called Aquasphere. So this is essentially um, a game where you're, it's an area control game, kind of. You're sending a robot out to one of these six locations, and based on the color of your robot or how you've programmed your robot is going to determine the action that you can take. You're trying to get different parts of your laboratory. You're trying to fight the octopods, trying to collect these crystals so you can get over certain spots on the scoring um, track because if you hit a, a laser, unless you have a crystal, you can't go over that. Um, you're trying to get more submarines out because submarines are going to give you points. You're trying to collect time because time is how you move. It's a Marty, or not a Marty Wallace. It's a, a failed it's game. Failed. Yeah, it's a failed game that just feels like a failed game with a pasted on colorful board and theme. So if you like um, failed and you want not a tan and brown board, but still feels like a failed, then check this one out. So my number 47 is Aquasphere. Feld does a surprising number of games with TMG. That's true. Yeah, he did Aquasphere, and then he did... Oracle Delphi. Yeah, which is uh, two, and it's a surprising number to do with TMG. Um, TMG is awesome, though. We really like those guys, and this is a good game. It's sitting in my it's setting in my garage because I just was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to play this one, so it's a garage game, but the way you talk about it, I need to maybe crack it out and play it sometime. It's good. I, I, I really do like it. It's really good. Oracle stayed in my house, though, so I like it pretty well and oracle like if you play it you're gonna be like okay i understand this game came before merlin and it's got kind of the rondell thing going on with it but not really right um but anyway uh we aren't talking about oracle right now we're talking about number 46 rajas of the ganges Ooh, good one uh, that's a great game yeah i like this game a lot you're basically trying to be the most famous slash rich raja and so you have these two tracks one with slightly bigger spaces, I think it's like a two-to-one ratio, but it's way harder to move up that track than it is the other track. I think it's the fame track is, is hard, and the money track is kind of easy, but the fame track, like just for the sake of easy numbers on this, has 50 spots, and the money has 100. But whenever they cross, that's when the game ends. So when one player gets their tracks to cross, because one goes clockwise, one goes counterclockwise, whenever they cross, the game ends, and it's the winner is the person who crosses their tracks the most. So this game is wild because it's so balanced. This is by the brands. This week is my brands week, I think. Um, but the game is so balanced that I've seen people try really hard to balance things and cross at the midway point and win. And I've seen people say, screw fame. I'm just going to make a really awesome money engine. And if I get a few pieces of fame along the way to unlock workers, because that's kind of a part of the way how you unlock workers is by getting up on this track. Like they basically go all the way around with money and win. So, I mean, it's just, it's cool that both tracks seem like they do about the same amount of work. 
Um, and it's just, you roll the die, you put, it almost feels like Kingsburg on the one side there where you place a die down and get some stuff. Um, but then also you're getting a chance, then beyond all this, the game really is kind of a tiling game that you're building like a like big farm to like produce goods that you can sell and get more money. So uh, an economic kind of tallying kind of dice placement game with a, that cool track mechanism in it. Rajas of the Ganges and the game is beautiful on top of all that. So this is one that I just, I want to play it when I think about it right now. So Rajas of the Ganges is 46. Yeah, this is one of those games like I always forget about it and then I look at it on the, the shelf and I'm like, oh yeah, I should play this game. <laughs> I agree. It's just every time I see it, I want to play it. This is a really good game. For sure. All right. So my number 46 is uh, a newer entry. By new, I mean like today. And it is called Underwater Cities. That's fun. I've got a today entry coming up too. <laughs> so this is a game that uh, essentially what you're doing is you are, it's a worker placement game, sort of. But there are three different colors of worker placement areas on the board. When you go to that spot, you have to discard a card from your hand. If you play a card that matches the color of the space that you go to, you get to take the action of that card as well. And the action could be an instant action that's going to get you some resources. It could be an action card that you'll play down in front of you that will trigger at a later time. Or it could be like end-of-game points or something that happens in production. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build these buildings on your little player board, and you're trying to connect them with these tunnels grow some kelp farms, some laboratories, and some yellow buildings that I don't know what they do. And you're trying, you're doing all that to obtain end-of-game points and just get this huge network to try to hit these in-game goals and short-term goal cards that are over in the corners of your board. It's not a super heavy game, but it's super fun. So this is a game that uh, I'm looking at on my shelf right now, and I want to play it. And it's I love it. It's really fun. So my number 46 is Underwater Cities. That's that's great, man. I'm looking at a game that's going to come up on the list here in about three weeks that this game gets compared to, and it's in my top 20. And this game I hear is a more fun version of this game uh, that's going to come up later, and I'll talk about that when the time comes. But I am looking forward to it. And this is on my... Games that I wish I could just go out and buy, but I have it on my Christmas list for my wife and my mom. Uh, so I have to wait and see if I get it for Christmas or not. But it looks amazing. I'm with you on that. It looks really good. And then for you to endorse it as rigorously as you have uh, means you must really like it. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it for sure. It is good. Now, is this like a realistic like thing? Like, hey, the earth is so hot that we have to live underwater. Or is this like a like fun pulp fictiony thing like Aquasphere? No, there's some backstory about people needing places to live. So it's like alternate reality or whatever that genre is. Yeah, but the theme didn't put you off too much, huh? No, I mean, again, it's irrelevant. It's just colored spaces and some square tokens. Do you feel like a sense of like accomplishment when you finish this game? Like that's what I want from a game right now. It do- it does look cool. Like when you're building the like little dome city things. And you have all those farms around it. It looks really cool on your player board. So, yeah, I do feel like I did something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I was kind of hoping that this game would do. And, yeah, the game that it, it may be replacing for a lot of people or at least supplementing coming up in a few weeks I really like too. But we'll get to that later. Because my game is new as of today as well. Um, so I had to bump one out. And there's one that I was like, man, why is that on my list? I do not want to play that game. I was in a weird mood when I made this apparently. So I'm like, you know what? That one can leave, and this one's going to go on. And it worked out kind of well. And that game, number 45, is Pret-a-Portier, or Porter, or however you want to say it. Um, this game's pretty good, and I've only played it once. 
Uh, played it over the weekend. Um, and I, it's a game that like I played it and the whole time I played it, I was like, well, it's good, but is it that good? And I keep thinking about it and I keep thinking about, I want to play it again and get a chance to, you know, try and get the machines to fire better for me and just get better at the game. And that's a sign of a good game to me. Um, basically in this game, all you're doing is you're running a design studio. It's real simple. There's like basically nine places on a board that you can put a, put a worker and do something. And then they resolve in one to nine order. And you can build more buildings for your Estee Lauder collection. That's makeup. So maybe not. Um, <laughs> for your... Tommy Hilfiger. For your... No, dude. Not Tommy Hilfiger. I got to think of a real good brand. Uh, Stephen Berry's. For your Stephen Berry's <laughs> warehouse. Stephen Berry's. <laughs> oh, man. Man, come on. Act like you didn't buy a pair of $11 Stephen Berry. <laughs> what were they? Stefan Marbury shoes? I did. I just bought a bunch of their weird t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. I bought like a crap ton of their jeans and I was like, oh man, $6 for jeans. What the heck? Like I think every item in there was like six or seven bucks. Yeah. And then I got those $7 jeans home and I was like, okay, cool. These are made out of real thick denim and real thin thread. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. And everybody had those like fake leather jackets that... <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have a Stephen Berry Peacoat. It's like wool. I was like, man, how did they make this for $7? Not very well because they didn't stay in business, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> so you're trying to make your Stephen Berry's empire bigger by getting more buildings and more fashion designers uh, and just different specialists you can get to get spools of thread that you basically are doing like a set collection-y matching thing to get a, a set of clothes to go put in the fashion show. And when I played it, there were two cards that I was like, man, how are these cards even remotely balanced? One card was like, every time the phase five comes around, even if you don't have a pawn there, you get to blindly draw a card from the pile and get another mm -hmm. fashion thing. Cool. That's a really powerful card. And it was cheaper than my card, which was you have to have a pawn there and then you get to draw a card. But the thing that's different is after I upgraded my card, I was able to basically take one piece of clothing that wasn't like sports apparel or formal or whatever and make it that kind of clothes instead. So I always got to add a like wild card to my mix of clothes every time, which is super yeah. powerful. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's just a cool game. Um, I'm describing it really poorly, but basically you're building an engine of workers to try and make the best fashion stuff that when you go to these fashion shows – you can get a ton of money and it's super tight at the beginning. You have to borrow money that first round practically and pay a bunch of interest and then pay back even more interest after the fashion show. But yeah, if you don't have to take too big of a loan, it really is good for you. Um, I, I really like it. I want to play it again, to be honest. And I think this one could go higher depending on my experiences with it. It's also like the reputation this game has is for being a super heavy Euro game that is brain burning and just tough and like a, a modern masterpiece of just heavy board gaming. It's right. not heavy, really. It's no, it's medium. Two shades above family weight in my head. Yeah. So, uh, Predator Porter, good game. Really like it. Uh, no regrets. Yeah, my favorite part about this game are those contracts. They're free and they're super powerful for two rounds. Yep. And then, then they, they get less powerful than they disappear. go away. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Those cards seem super broken to me, but <laughs> yeah, I guess that's I guess that's why you don't have them for the whole game because they are kind of broken, right? Like get seven thimbles of fret thread for a dollar <laughs> a piece. Like what? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but I, the game is so loose. That's my other complaint about it. A little bit, it feels super like it wasn't hard for me to get what I needed. You know what I mean? So like to go get right. the thread and stuff I need it. It wasn't a hard decision. It was like, well, okay, yeah, it's going to cost me a lot of money, but, and I'll just get the cheap quality stuff, you know? And I mean, like, I just, I never felt like the importance of getting quality 
over just trying for other things and just saving my money. You know, I, I don't know. And that was just my strategy, I guess. And I guess once I play against somebody who really pushes quality hard and kicks my butt, I'll be sad. But I mean, I, I just, that's what, what my play was. Well, I mean, I, I did, the last play I did, I had a collection of five pieces of clothing. So I was trying to push for quality trend and all that stuff so I could get all those prestige tokens to make my, Oh my cards gosh, worth yeah. more money. So I, if you do that, I think it's worth more. Then your tokens seem more powerful to not always have to go to those, this fabric. You want to go to that number nine spot where you can just get crap. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good game. I like it a lot. So people have an understanding. Like you get one of the things, ways you kind of score points at the fashion shows is there's different quality trend, different kinds of things that they're judging you on and you get ribbons for it. And if you get like, let's say six ribbons and you brought five pieces of clothes, you get five times six back in in money. So that's like a huge amount of money to get in the game for just a little extra bonus, you know? So yeah, that would definitely be powerful. Yeah, I agree. All right. So my number 45 is a two player game and it's, (laughs) and it is from, uh, I forget the company hurricane or something like that. Mm. And Bruno, Bruno Catala. And it's called Nagaraja. Hmm. So this is a game that I played a whole lot this summer when I was at church camp and just away from home because it doesn't have a huge footprint and it's just two players. So essentially what this game is, is you are, you have this little board in front of you and you're trying to get these tiles to get from the entrances to the left, the right, and the top of the board to flip over these hidden things that have artifacts. The trick here is if you do three cursed artifacts, you automatically lose the game. And you're trying to do a race to be the first person to get to 20 artifacts, 20 points of artifacts, which could be like four or five, whatever. And you're doing that by rolling these like sticks. They're four-sided sticks and they have like lines or they have pips. Every line you roll is going to let you play a card during the game and every pip is going to let you, whoever has the most pips is going to determine who gets the tile. So... You're going to play cards. You're going to get tiles. You're just trying to get to those artifacts quicker than your opponent. And I dig it. So my number 45, Nagaraja. Yeah. So when you were describing this game, I was like, Hurricane Games, Bruno Cathala. Jason likes Mr. Jack that much? That's crazy. (sighs) I do like Mr. Jack. It's good. Is this game anything like Mr. Jack? Because it's the same designer and company. No, not at all. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. No, no hexagons or wooden discs, Jason. Uh, no, it has square tiles and long rectangular sticks that you throw, <laughs> which are dice. Essentially, yes, but only four sided. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, Katie tried to describe this game, and then you came on the next week. You're like, "Listen, all it is is this artifacts, and you roll the sticks." <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I, I never think of our podcast in a way that people should know how to play the game or even really know what the game is about. If we mention a game and it sounds interesting from our awful description, well, at least my awful description, go find somebody else play it and they'll show you what it looks mine like. Mine aren't great either. I'm hoping that I can at least build intrigue with mine. All right. I'm going to Jason explain my game. See if, see if I can get this down. My number 44 is a game where there's a map, there's some chits, you... Get some cards, you make choices with your cards, you build routes, that's it. Also mail. Turn in taxis. <laughs> also mail. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about until you said mail. 
Uh, an alternate taxis is really very similar to Ticket to Ride, but it has like uh, a little bit of some different stuff going on with it where um, you're not collecting colors of cards. You're collecting like locations of cards to try and build post offices. And then there's these six cards that are kind of on the side there that you can pick from that are – well, there's six cards to pick from. But then also you can like use the like Postmaster and some different things to try and like kind of have a little incorporation of player powers kind of. Um, It really is Ticket to Ride-esque, but it adds – it's just so you're collecting cards to complete like routes basically and build Postmaster huts. Um, And if you get a set of huts, like the right sets of huts, it's really like Council of Four and Ticket to Ride together a little. If you get the right sets of huts, you get to claim these little chits that have points on them um, from these little pyramids of points. And it's also mail because the theme is you're building post offices. Um, I will never complain about how anyone describes a game on a podcast ever again after I just described Turn in Texas. (laughs) I think I get it. I get it. Uh, I just said Turn in Ticket to Ride with post offices. Yeah, I, I've been doing some real bad explaining of this game, these games this week. I got Stockpile, which is a deduction stock game. Village, worker placement, but folks die. Heaven and Ale, Carcassonne, but with beer. Uh, Rajas of Ganges, Marco Polo, but mm, not Marco Polo. Uh, turn in taxis, uh, mail on the board. Good times. And then, and then of course, Preda Porter, which is... <laughs> Make sure to buy your good H&M and Stephen Berry clothes at discount prices. Um, and that's that's how I explain games now, I guess. <laughs> I'm rubbing off on you. <laughs> All right, what's uh, your 44, Jason? My number 44, there's a video on our YouTube, so when I describe this poorly, go watch that, uh, is Parks from Keymaster ah. Games. So this is a, a fairly lightweight game. Uh, it has some Takedo movement where you have these little hikers. You have two hikers, and you're moving That's enough. forward. You as told them enough now, Jason. It's fine. Yeah, true. You're moving as far as you want forward to go to a location to collect some kind of resources or maybe take another action. And you're, the ultimate goal is you're trying to collect enough resources to visit these parks, which really means you turn in the resources to take a park card to get points. Uh, there's a little more to it. You're trying to buy some gear card to help you make that goal better. You're trying to get some canteens, which you can trade water in for a tree, which is very thematic. And yeah, so that's Parks. Uh, I really enjoy this one. It's beautiful. Uh, it's really fun to play. No one has seemed to hate it. Everybody seems to enjoy it. So 44, Parks. Yeah, it's super pretty. That's part of the reason why I think everyone loves it. But it's a good game too. Um, I had it at 87. A couple of things I would mention that you didn't mention is that you always add one extra tile into your pathway that you're walking down, like hiking down. So there's always one extra new tile that you put in every round, which is kind of cool that there's always something else kind of coming out. And then there's just some really interesting placements. So it's, um, and then there's also like the, the thing where the weather changes, um, throughout the game. I'm trying to think here. There's like one, there's one card where it's like, Hey, this is how it's going to be for this game. And then also there's like a per round kind of thing, I think. Right. Am I thinking right on that? Yeah, you, you've turned over like a season card, and it's going to give you a special ability throughout the round, and it's going to put some tokens on each of the tiles right. at the beginning of the round to just like bonuses. Yeah, and so basically, yeah, you're collecting these different things, and then you can get wildlife, which are wilds, which is kind of cool too. But you're basically trying to get these sets of 
chits or tokens so that you can take a postcard from the national park with points. And it's, it's, yeah, you described it pretty well. But the thing that I think is really cool about it is the addition of an extra, you randomize, every time you walk through on a hike, you randomize your tiles again and add another one to it. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, sometimes that wildlife tile will come out like the first round and you get to really have wildlife play a big part in your game. And the most recent time I played this, the wildlife tile came out the last round, last space in the array. So oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. So like no wildlife practically the whole game. So um, it's it's neat though. And it's super well done production wise for sure. This is one that I would say is a no brainer. If you like national parks or like going outdoors and are stuck up for cute games, this one's awesome. Like this is probably, oh, as far as me saying just general appeal and just someone buying it. Uh, because they just want to buy a game this year, I would say this one's darn near the top of the list. It's just a good value, good game, period. So I, I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jason, my number 43, it's a game. It's got some beer. It's got some sheep, some hexes. Uh, when you pull off things, you see more symbols on the board, and you try and just win by shipping stuff and whatnot. Clans of Caledonia. How'd Ooh, I do? Well, was that too I much did. information or not yeah, enough? It, or? it was a little too much, yeah. It's okay. Here, here's actually the way you can best describe this game. You know that game, Terra Mystica. Make it less fantasy and more about not fighting people, but like apparently, if you are neighbors with your, you're friendly. If you're, yeah, if yeah, friendly. You you build next to the neighbors, and you're like, you know what, that good good milk that you have, I'm just gonna have some of that too. How's that sound? Is that good? <laughs> so it's got war in it in combat, basically, but it's done under the guise of. We're all just good people from Caledonia. We love to just share our our stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's it's cool. I like it because it has that thing of when you pull something off your board to build, you uncover another symbol. So then you do better. So the more cows you have out, the more you get. Is it dairy or cheese? I think it's dairy. To to from the cows. So the more cows out, the more you get milk back, which makes sense thematically, but it works really cool mechanically that you're uncovering these symbols on your board. And then it's got this kind of cool market thing that's not present in Terra Mystica. So it's like really it is a lot like Terra Mystica. But instead of taking that instead of having that goofy like demigods worship board, you put like a trade and market board on there instead, which I think makes more sense thematically and just is really way more incorporated into the game than that sideboard in Terra Mystica. So I I really like this game a lot. And I think I like it better than Terra Mystica. Uh, just kidding. I don't. I like it almost as much as Terra Mystica. Um, yeah, Terra Mystica is, Terra Mystica is really good because it has those factions that are really neat too. And and those real good like bowls of petals that you move around. But this one is, I think, a more streamlined version and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I played this and when I played it, I thought, man, I should just be playing Terra Mystica. I, it's so similar to me that I... And yeah, that market thing is cool, but... I didn't use it enough to really care. So I just, I don't know. I think I like Terra Mystica. Cleanse isn't even on my list, but I think I like Terra Mystica way better. Turns out I do too, Jason. (laughs) All right. Well, cool. No, I mean, Uh, like I could play one or the other, honestly, but you know what? This game would actually be a lot higher. What's, what's your guess on my complaint about this game production wise? the, The box is too small. Yes. Just spend seven more dollars and make the game a proper size game. Like, the way it is right now, like your hexes are like an inch by an inch. It's way too small. And yeah. I get it's because you want to fit it on tables and stuff probably, but make it Terra Mystica size. That'd be awesome. And then I would like it like 10 spots better or something. <laughs> uh, all right. So my number 43 is a game about saving the world from impending climate crisis. And it is called CO2 from Vitale Lacerda. 
this is probably my least favorite retail game. I haven't played Escape Plan, so I don't know how it would compare, but I think I'd probably, based on what I know about Escape Plan, I think I'd like CO2 better. Yeah, I think so too. So this is essentially a, it's a semi-cooperative game, meaning that if we let the planet hit a certain amount of pollution, we all lose. So we're trying to work together just enough so we keep that kind of in check. But we're also trying to build green power plants. We're trying to do that better than everybody else to score the most points. And this is typical VTAL fashion. You take one action of, I think, four actions, and then you can do some executive actions. Um, it's pretty actually pretty easy to play. It's more straightforward than a lot of his games. But yet, you know, there are some times when an action can take four or five minutes. So if you like VTAL and you think the theme of climate change is interesting, then check this one out. So my number 43, CO2. Yeah, Jason, that's a cool pick. Uh, I like this game quite a bit. And I like Vidal Lacerda even better than your pick because that dude's hilarious. So if you're not following Vidal Lacerda on social media, I suggest you do that really badly. Um, Because two things. One, he always – so, okay, uh, Vinos is coming out. And people are on Facebook and BoardGameGeek saying, Vidal, what's your best game? And Vinos is like the only game he has. But this is even when 2016 is coming out. He's like, oh, Vinos, hands down is my best game I've ever made. Vinos is just so good. It's very good. Kanban comes out. Everyone's like, Vidal, what's your best game? Oh, Kanban. (laughs) Kanban is by far my best game. And then and then Lisboa comes out. What's your best game? Lisboa. It's definitely hands down. It's Lisboa. CO2 again. CO2 is definitely my best game. Escape Plan comes out, and he's like, on Mars. On Mars is my best game. <laughs> That's true. He didn't really talk about Escape Plan a lot. No. Like, he jumped right to on Mars. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I think Escape Plan was like one of his first games he made, and I think he... They probably had to beg him to let him release it. Like, if I had to guess. You know, and the crazy thing is, if that was any other designer's game, it would be like their masterpiece. Oh, yeah. But when you have all those other games in your collection, yeah. it just doesn't compare, yeah. It's a good game. It's a top 200 game. But for Vital, it's not that awesome. Uh, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a good game, just not Vital good. My On Mars should be here any day now, too, man. Like, that's going to throw this list off next year, because I, I got a feeling that one's going to be pretty high. <laughs> Yeah, I would actually play that one. That's a space game I'm interested in real bad. Well, you know that thing where we talk about uh, doing a transition where we go, speaking of Vidal Lacerda, then we say something not related to Vidal Lacerda at all? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Jason, speaking of Vidal Lacerda, my number 42 game is Coimbra. Nice. That's a good Vidal game. Coimbra. Coimbra. However you say it. It's the game that looks super light. It looks like a children's game with the color palette and the cool bubbly art in it. But it sure isn't. Um, this game, basically, you're drafting die, then putting them in your little die holder so you know whose die it is, and then you're placing them in one of these four rows. And basically, the way how these die resolve is, like, I think the top row goes from uh, smallest to largest, or I'm going to be getting this backwards. It tells you right on the board, but basically, you're putting these die in these rows based on the value, and you get to draw cards based on if you have the biggest card or the smallest card, depending on the row. And... Um, the cards are all going to help you either, well, during some phase of the game, either get you points at the end of the game or make it a little bit better that if you have a certain color die, you're going to be able to do something on these tracks. And there's tracks that you're moving up as well at the same time. And there's a map you're going around and exploring. So um, doing like mission work or something kind of, I guess. I don't know what it's called. Um, but you're sending this guy around to different villages to try and at different times make um, 
I don't know, leave a, leave a wooden circle there. So you go and you leave a wooden circle there and they say, man, you did such a good job leaving a wooden circle. Here's a nice benefit for you. And anyway, all these cards go down on your player area, make a cool engine based on you drafting die and placing them in these four different rows. Um, and then it's kind of cool too, because I think you've talked about this before in this show, but there's like these dummy players, depending on the player count, where you have these little cardboard die. And so you like have to always plan to like, when you take your die, if there's a card you really want to work with your engine, you have to pick a die that's the right value, like a, a high enough die that you're going to be able to beat the AI, the artificial intelligence that's going to just destroy one of the cards that you want. So pretty cool. Then if that's not enough to keep balancing your brain, there's like this set collection thing for diplomas. Um, and other things that I'm not even mentioning. But it's a pretty cool game. Um, I, I don't know this one's going to stick around forever in my top 100, but I'm enjoying it right now. Yeah, I hate this game. I'm going to go to number 42. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really like this game a you lot. You are uh, a liar, but it's definitely not your number 42. <laughs> it is not my number 42. That is correct. I, I'm only off by, like, <laughs> mm, I don't know, a lot of slots. <laughs> yeah, a lot of slots and a lot of weeks. Um, my number 42 is a game from Uwe Rosenberg, and it is called Agricola. Oh, that's my number one game now, too, Jason. Jeez. <laughs> I used to uh, have this game higher. I think part of it is I just haven't played it a lot. I've played Lahav more. For some reason, it's lower, so I guess I just like Agricola better anyway. But this is a worker placement game where as the game progresses, more worker placement spaces come available, and by the last round, there's like 30,000 of them. And you're trying to figure out which one you want to go to to get the stuff to do the things. You have to collect food to feed your people. You got to collect different types of material to make buildings. You're trying to get animals to, to because you have to get animals. You have to get one of everything or you lose points. You're trying to pin in your animals. You're trying to put in barns or something, stables, so you can hold more animals in your pen. And you're also playing some cards that are going to give you occupations and all that mess. So there's a lot going on. It's pretty beefy it's not super heavy but there's just a lot to keep track of so if you like uve games and you haven't played this one give it a go my number 42 agricola every game on this list from this point on i've played this year which isn't too bad um and every game this week i haven't played turn and taxis this year but every game on the list this this week i played so man i'm feeling pretty good about these games right now that i played them this year um it was a good game for playing years so far good game for playing Good game for playing years. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say there. <laughs> Good year for playing games. Uh, no, that's uh, Agricola is awesome. The part that it just always is known for is that it just it beats you up, man. It hits you and it 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 makes you like struggle to just make things work, like to just keep things functioning. It it hurts. And there's another game that I think you and I both are going to have come up in a couple weeks here, where it does a lot of the things that 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 game does but it feels like it's just a friendlier version of it so stay tuned for that so jason yep. queenbra was my number 42 that was if i'm not wrong your number one game last year right that is correct and my number one game last year was great western trail so um i was like it's 41 now <laughs> no <laughs> nope it did not drop 40 spots <laughs> although this one did drop i think probably 20 maybe and it's just because I haven't played it much. I played it a ton last year and loved it so much. Played it four or five times, like in the span of six weeks, probably. And it was Dinosaur Island. And I love this game still. It's number 41. It's amazing. It's a great game. Just a lighthearted, manufacturing y, industrial, like build a park kind of game. It's really fun. 
Um, and it's got draft, draft <laughs> dice drafting. Uh, it's got, you know, like just doing worker placements to try and do all these cool things. It's got awesome 80s color palettes and slap bracelets. Um, but Dinosaur Island's really good. And it's just, I think the best way to describe it is the way you describe it, where it's like you have four little mini games that you're playing, different phases, and you just explain each phase and go through the phases, and they all go together to make your player board become a dinosaur island, a dinosaur park. So very cool. Had an expansion come out this year. The, uh, what is it called? Totally Liquid. Is that what it's called? The expansion? Yep. Which just adds a bunch of other dinosaurs, like adds executives, which I don't think do much for the game. It adds like water habitats, which are kind of cool. But I think the expansion of this game, to be honest, is a little bit of a letdown and I don't need to play it. Um, and I really wish they would have just made the base game box a little bigger and throwing some of the kind of cooler stuff from the expansion into it and not had a whole expansion, just done a deluxe edition with like a few extra little bits in it. Cause like, seriously, I don't know. Some of the extra die that came in the expansion are cool. Um, but man, I could do without the expansion to be honest. And so base game dinosaur Island, really good still the stuff that is in totally liquid. I'm, I don't know, man. It's just, I, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? Yeah, I haven't even played Totally Liquid yet. Um, I started to play it solo because I was just wanted to learn it, and I couldn't figure out the solo mode because the rules were kind of sketchy. I messaged the guy who designed it, and he wasn't helping, so I put it away, and I haven't gotten it out again since. Yeah, it, it just feels like everything's kind of tacked on a little. It doesn't feel like it integrates into the base game, which is kind of well-balanced and built together. Oh, yeah, the base game is amazing. And I, it just doesn't feel like it's in such great harmony, like how the other parts of the base dinosaur game, Dinosaur Island, are, are in harmony. And this is a Jonathan Gilmore game, local local Midwest guy. Like him a lot. Yeah, this has, like, it's. you said it's it's super easy to teach because you just teach by phases. And I think Predator Porter has that sum as well, where you can just say, hey, this is section number one. This is what it does. So I like games that kind of break yeah. stuff down like that. Yep. All right, so my 41, and the last game I'm going to talk about this week or the last game we're going to talk about this week is called seven wonders duel Mm. and this might have been higher for me and i've actually played this at least four or five times this year because it's two players and it's easy to bang out so this is a a two-player version of seven wonders kind of basically it's the same theme and one of the same designers so what you're trying to do is you're putting these cards in different shapes in the middle of the table some of them are going to be face up some are going to be face down on your turn you're going to take a card you either pay for the card and put it in your tableau to start getting resources or collect some civilization cards, some science cards, or you're going to discard the card to just take some money. Uh, you're trying to use the money and resources to build your wonders. One person can build four. One person can build three. Um, you're, you're just trying to end the game with more money than everybody else. And you can also maybe defeat somebody by getting all your your little military token all the way to their side of the military board. So there's like a little bit of a military tug of war going on as well. So if you like two-player games and you like the theme of Seven Wonders, and maybe she just likes Seven Wonders and thought the two-player variant of that stinks, then check this out. So my number 41 is Seven Wonders Duel. Yeah, the two-player variant of Seven Wonders is really bad. Yeah, it's got that dummy third-player thing. Yeah, I... Yeah, this game's better than Seven Wonders. Neither one's on my list, but... Um... This game really isn't that closely related to Seven Wonders. Like, no, not really. I almost really. should have called it something else. Like, called it two-player civilization. I don't know. Like, it's it's really different. Um, the symbols are similar, and the way how you do, like, set collections on symbols is similar. Right. But really, this is more like a Mahjong game than it is, like, a drafting game. Because it's more about, like, I don't want to give up 
face-up cards to my opponent. So I'm going to try and be really strategic with not giving them face-up cards as best I can. But sometimes I have to because I really need that card. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's it's pretty cool. It's a good game for sure. I won't say it's not a good game, but it didn't hit my top 100 this year. And if my, if my wife or your wife, I might have it higher too. Just like my wife is not into heavy, thinky games. And like, so this is a one that if you had a heavy, thinky game spouse, like cool and it's not heavy it's just a thinky-ish game and it takes a lot of just brain power to make all the symbols work together and have a strategy and future planning and my wife's just not into that and i think your wife probably is so fun game yep we do like it quite a bit that's it jason yeah this one wasn't near as wackadoo i oh i mean (laughs) i don't think we could recreate that again if we tried (laughs) lord knows we tried We have tried, and we have not succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we've made episodes like that, but out of the hour and four episode, hour and four minute long episode, we end up putting out about a 33 minute episode. So <laughs> that one stayed and was just goofy. <laughs> yep. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting the next four of these done because I've got some pretty awesome games on here. Um, so, yeah, Jason. Yeah, and spoiler, Predator didn't make my list. I can't think of another game that I want to replace it this high up, so I, I'm not. Wow. I have Predator higher than you. Well, it w- next next time I do this list, it'll be pretty high, I can guarantee. Huh. Oh, you don't have anything you can knock off, though. Yeah, every, everything that's on there I really, really like, so I don't want to remove something. What's your guess on Predator? Top 20? Um, I would say if I played it, Less than four, it may get up that high, but I don't know. My top 20 games are like games that I would play all the time, anytime. And it's going to be harder to throw in some of those bad boys. Yeah. I, I played it two players with Luke, and we got it done in an hour, maybe a little less. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that sounds um, right. And then I played Scoville with my wife over the weekend, which is a cool game. Um, I'm not sure that it's going to make the list at this point, but it's a fun game for sure. Um, and... Her and I played it in like 30 minutes and like you like called it a little filler game and I couldn't fight you on it because I was like, yeah, it took us 30 minutes to play. So yeah, it is basically a filler full size board game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quick. I mean like, but you can play up to, I think six players. If you played six players, it would take a minute, but yeah, that's true. I wouldn't play it at six probably. No, we played it at three and I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a fun game. It's different. So anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know how that one came up, but it did. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Games that are quick and short. Of course, you and I played Mombasa in 40 minutes one time. That's true. And we played Blackout Hong Kong in about the same. Yep. We are pretty fast take actions, boys. Yep. I I actually think when we played that four-player game of City of the Big Shoulders, we probably played that faster than most people, too, I think. Yeah, I would guess so, too. But, man, if you and I played it two players, we could knock out City of the Big Shoulders in 20 minutes. (laughs) I actually, I would say we could probably do it in an hour for sure. You think so? Yeah, I think we could. Maybe. I don't think I played it too, though. That game needs a third player almost. I think it's perfect at three. Yeah, four, I can see, four I can see three being grindy. good. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that game in a few weeks, but no spoilers. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop recording, and then I'm going to blurt out all the top games on my list, because I just feel like I want to say them. But I can't, I can't let the boys at home know, because then you won't listen to our show anymore, and I'll be real sad. Man, we had an amazing week last week. Thank you, by the way, listeners. Like, yeah, it was awesome. We had like a thousand listen week, which for us is stupid. That's awesome. So 
Yep. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Thank you guys uh, for the support. You, like, seriously, it means the world to us. All right. Uh, I wish we had more fun things to say to make you chuckle at at your workplace or on your long car ride. But I think I'm just my, – my throat's getting a little sore. I'm out of stuff to say, and I should have just stopped talking maybe two minutes ago. So I'm going to stop now. I've been Joel. Keep gaming. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming. I got a belch working its way up here, Jason. Oh, there it is. Okay. Wow, we're leaving that in. That's zany right there. Uh, <laughs> there go the fans. Uh, excuse my belch. That was very, very distasteful and rude of me. <laughs> and I know that our fans are only the most disconcerting fans. Is it the word I'm thinking or disconcerting? No. D- discerning. D- discerning. Discerning. Yeah. Disconcerting too, maybe, but discerning fans. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>